Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. And today we're going to be talking about the law of the tithe. Don't run out yet. All right? Um, and then next week we'll finish with the law of Christ. And we see that these laws have actually all been here all along. These laws have been here along even before the law of Moses came along. They have nothing to do with the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments or anything like that. These all have to do with your relationship to God. And these all have to do with what God wants to bring into your life and actually has brought into your life. These laws are for your benefit. They're not here to threaten you. or to. Just, the law of Moses had a lot of threatenings in it. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, uh, <clears throat> it'll be a slow read, I can guarantee you that. But you get over to chapter 28, and it begins to list all the blessings. These blessings will overtake you. You know, if you'll listen to heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do all that that's in this law, then all these blessings come upon you. Well, that the first part of that chapter is great, but then if you don't do, there are tw- at least twice as many curses as there are blessings. All right, so it's a very threatening kind of law. You do good, you 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 get good. You do bad, you get doubly bad. So um, we're not under that law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And we were, actually, that law was never for us. It was never for us. It was for the children of Israel. Uh, the law was actually against us. When God told the children of Israel, one of the laws is thou shalt not kill. It didn't mean don't kill Gentiles because they went on a killing spree after that law came. All right, Killing all kinds of inhabitants of the land to receive the land of promise. That was actually a law for themselves as a nation, all right? And so you, you and I, we were, uh, we were free game. So, uh, but law said, uh, Paul said that that law, that law was contrary to us. It was against us, all right? But Jesus has taken it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Not only did that law get nailed to the cross, but our sin also was taken away. Praise God. Once for all. He doesn't have to die anymore. He died a death one time. And when he died, everything that was against you died. Amen. Every power that was against you was squelched, done. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Let me ask you a question. Did he do it? Yes, he did do it. Now, we'll see the full effect of it uh, when Jesus returns. But we know that as the children of God, we have his power at work in our lives. And there's nothing the nasty, filthy devil can do about it. Unless you let him. He's, he roams about like a roaring lion, the scripture says, seeking whom he may devour. All right? He comes knocking on your door and says, may I devour you? And you say, no, you may not. <laughs> Go somewhere else, idiot. All right? So um, we have uh, these laws that work for us. And, and uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't you know, been here or missed some of these messages and, or maybe missed all of them, uh, you can go to our website and, and uh, subscribe to our podcast, all right? These are all here for you to, to continue to get the word in your life week in and week out. And of course, uh, this year we started something at the beginning of the year where you can receive a text alert where we send one verse a week. Uh, I've encouraged our church to, to uh, begin to memorize scriptures and, and we're giving you specifically a promise scripture every week for you to memorize, get into your life for that week and make it the theme for your week and something you meditate on, even talk to your kids about. But if you want to subscribe to that text uh, alert, you can do that by talking to somebody. I don't know. Talk to Cameron. He's on the front row. You're welcome, Cameron. <laughs> 
No, um, there's, it's probably on our website where you can uh, look, look to that. But the first verse of Scripture that we started at this year is really the theme of this year. I felt like the Lord had given me a word in this one verse, Jeremiah chapter 33, 3. It says, call to me and I will answer you and will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So I'm looking forward to that, and I know that you are too, and we're believing for that. But we've, the last scripture for this, this past week was Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, that says, uh, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Keep his word in your mouth. Keep saying what God has said, even though you may not be seeing the reality of it right now, even though your circumstances might be contrary to the word of God, you hold fast your confession because eventually your circumstances will line up with your confession. All right? So stay strong in it. Amen. So now let's go over to, uh, did I tell you to go somewhere? Genesis chapter 12, and we'll look at it in just a moment, but I, I, I just want to... Uh, mentioned something before that. Two chapters later in Genesis chapter 14, uh, we're into the life of Abraham. We first peek into his life in Genesis 12, but in, in 14, a war breaks out. And this war breaks out between uh, five kings versus four kings. And I, I didn't want to read this part of the scripture to you because the king's names are like this long a piece. And it, yeah, it'll just, I might as well just speak in tongues and you could probably understand it better actually, than these kings' names. But, uh, but five kings go against these four kings, all right? And one of the, uh, the five kings was the king of Sodom, all right? And this is where Lot, Abraham's nephew, lived and his family. Well, when they went to war, the five kings found themselves uh, in a really tough position in battle. They, were, they had come to this place where there were these salt pits, and some of them were falling into those salt pits, and they realized that basically their backs were against the wall. There was no way for them to have a good battle stance with these salt pits, and so they actually ended up fleeing for their lives or running to the hills. And so the four kings defeated the five kings. And after those kings fled, they came in and took all their goods, all their stuff, and their people, and Lot was one of those people that had been taken. Well, this young man runs to find Abraham to tell him that some of his family had been kidnapped. So the scripture says in this, in this chapter, it says that Abraham <laughs> gathered up his 318, this is the original 300, 318 men trained up in his own house, all right? So Abraham wasn't just some old man out in a desert, right, just waiting to die. This man was a warrior, all right? So he trained up these men how to fight, and they went after these four kings. He went to rescue his nephew Lot. And uh, imagine that. Can you imagine when World War II broke out that America would have sent 318 guys? Best of luck to you guys. When you have those kinds of odds, it's, it's, it's not a good situation. But yet they went. And then it says that they showed up there at night and Abraham divided his guys into four groups, one for each army, right? About 80 guys each, all right? The odds are getting worse. But they win. They prevail. Abraham and his men did to those four kings what five kings and their armies could not do. And so after they defeated those kings, then they gathered up, Abraham and his men gathered up all the spoils of war and all those who had been taken captive, including his nephew Lot, and they bring them, they're bringing them back home. And now we get down to, uh, actually, let me, before we get to chapter 14, and I was reading that and I was thinking, what is Abraham's deal? Why does he think that he has a chance? 
against these guys? What makes him think that he can just go run after these four kings and with his 300 and something men and win and, and rescue Lot? Well, in chapter 12, we see that God, this is one of the things that God says to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The word where it says who curses you, that word means to make light of. I will curse him who makes light of you or who deems you as trivial. These guys obviously didn't think much of Abraham to take some of his family captive. So surely Abraham must have remembered this. Okay, they've made light of me. God, this is your deal now. I'm going to go, what I, go do what I can do in the natural, and I know that you're with me. And if you're cursing them, then they don't stand a chance against me. I don't care. Line them up. I don't care how many kings it is. God's on my side. Amen. All right? So now we get to chapter 14, and let's, let's, go, let's get here to where he's coming back. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of, you see what I mean? We call him cheddar cheese. And the kings who were with him. Next, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. So it's an interesting thing as Abraham's coming in with all of his troops, all 318, and all the people that had taken captive and all the spoils, and they're coming into this valley. He's coming to meet the king of Sodom who's coming. And all of a sudden, this figure steps in right between them by the name of Melchizedek. It's the first time we see this figure. He's an interesting man. It says he's a king, but it also says he's a priest. And he comes out with bread and wine. All right? So he steps there, and he's looking at Abraham. Look what he says to him. And, and he blessed him. That is, Melchizedek blessed at this time, his name is Abram. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Nowhere in this blessing, in this pronouncement, did the priest walk out and say, all right, I need 10% of everything you got. There was no command. As a matter of fact, we don't have any instruction in tithe from God at all. We just see that a man who heard a blessing pronounced over him decided to do something about that blessing and respond to that blessing, and he gave a tenth of the spoils. It's the first mention, first time the word tithe is mentioned, and it was because a man had it in his heart to do it, not because it was demanded of him. Now, I'm going to take you through a few scriptures in the next few minutes because i got to get some word behind all of this. This is a big teaching. It's a large thought. And I, I'm sad to say it's been so terribly misunderstood and so terribly preached through the years and made God's people to feel guilty and shamed and all that kind of stuff. All right? And so as a result, that kind of teaching has made preachers Someone have a bad reputation, right? Where the common thought, or maybe even amongst friends who talk about preachers, say things like that they're just after their, your money, right? That's what the preacher, he's just after your money. He's just after, well, some of them might be, and some of them have proved to have been. I was in a church years ago uh, when I was, I was leading worship, and we used to, our band our, used to go around and, and do worship nights in different 
churches. And so they, we got invited to this church in the same town, actually. We didn't know these guys. They just wanted to have us, and so we were there. And, and they took up an offering for their little conference they were having, and the pastor has... <laughs> I just think this is so bold. <laughs> I would never do this, but I, I, I don't know. Anyway, the guy receives the offering, and then they rush the offering plates out, right? And he's up there waiting, and he's talking to the people, and then this guy runs in with a piece of paper, and he hands it to the, to the preacher, and the preacher looks at the, looks at the paper, and it's the amount of offering. He says, no, 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 this ain't going to do. Let's pass them again. <laughs> Three times. This happened three times. I was like, this guy is, he's bold. I'll say that. But I would not want to sit in this church every week. I can guarantee you that. This guy, Melchizedek, we see him here in this chapter. And then David makes mention of Melchizedek, this priest, in Psalms chapter 110 I think verse 4 along in there. He says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's interesting. And, and, and he's really talking about Jesus who would soon come. And then we don't see Melchizedek's name again until the book of Hebrews. Very interesting. Now, I want us to go now to the, the last book of the, of the Old Testament, I should say, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This is God speaking to Israel. Now, remember, Adam and Eve, in the beginning, God had given them the entire world. He gave them everything. As a matter of fact, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. This, this is all yours. You may eat of the fruit of every tree. Freely you can eat it, except one. That tree's mine. I get one tree on planet earth. You get the rest of the earth. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Amen. God gets one tree, and man, you get the rest of the world. But that great, that good old human nature, huh? Really, it was a fallen nature brought on by listening to the serpent in the garden who convinced them that they also needed to eat of that one tree. And it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are lots of thoughts and sermons about what Adam was actually doing. Adam committed high treason against God. Adam was in rebellion against God. Well, really, he stole fruit. That's what he did. Adam stole a piece of fruit, all right? But it was God's fruit. He robbed God. And then we get to the very last book, and look what happens. This is God speaking. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. And then he says, you're cursed with a curse. So the very first sin mentioned is uh, one of theft, robbing God, and the very last sin mentioned is one of robbing God. All right? Men just continually taking from God what is not theirs. And he says, you robbed me now in tithes and offerings. All right? Because at this point, tithing had become the law. It had become required of men that they do this. If you tithe, yeah, you're going to get blessed. If you don't, get ready. You're going to be cursed. And under the law of Moses, the Levitical priesthood, the Levites, they were commanded to take the tithes from the people. So no longer was it a man out of his heart giving because of his gratitude to God. Now it was paying a bill. And that took all, I imagine that took all the joy out of it. Genesis opens up. The first word in the book of Genesis is in. In the beginning. 
The last word in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, is the word curse. You can sum up the Old Covenant in curse. But the New Testament opens up with the word the, the book of the generation, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The last word in Revelation chapter 22 is amen. In curse, the amen. And Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says of himself that I am the amen. The amen. He is the amen. It's one of his names. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 teaches us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. I love this. Christ became a curse. That's how he redeemed us from the curse. He actually became the curse. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, this is another verse of Scripture that you'll find in Deuteronomy, that a man who hangs on a tree is a man who is accursed of God. So when a man was hanged on a tree, he carried a curse with him. All right? Now, now <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, I, I want to speak of that for just a moment, that tree, because uh, why did Jesus have to be nailed? I mean, of all the things, ways that Jesus could have died, why did he have to be nailed to a tree to take away the curse because it was a tree in the beginning that brought the curse. All right? It was because of a tree that that curse was brought to us. And so when they nailed him, the innocent lamb of God, the spotless lamb, the man who knew no sin but became sin for us, when they nailed him to that cross, the curse went away. Hallelujah. Once for all, the curse of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The curse of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting. One of the things that Jesus said when he was hanging on that cross was, Father, forgive them, for they what? No, not. They were trying to get knowledge, and Jesus said, you never got it. They know not what they're doing because we were not created for the knowledge of good and evil. We were created to know God, not good and evil. We were created to know God. So Jesus redeemed us from that curse of the mere knowledge of good and evil. I mean, think about it. We're not good at keeping laws anyway. I asked you last week, how many of you actually stop at a stop sign? I mean, you actually purposely stop at a stop sign. I mean, come on. Hardly any of you do. You have to think about it. I mean, you don't think even about your speed or anything until you see a cop on the road. And then it's 10 and 2. And you're looking at that speedometer, right? You're not even thinking about the law until the enforcer shows up, right? We're just not good. It's bad enough that we can't keep the laws of God. 10 commandments and they couldn't keep them, right? And nobody, nobody could. And we can't even keep our own laws. How many of you did a New Year's resolution this year? Yeah, see, hardly. How many of you used to, but you gave up on it? You used to. Why? Because you break it. You break your own laws. You break your own rules. Amen. That's, the, that's the weakness of humanity, the tragedy, I should say. Jesus is saying to the Father, they don't know everything, though they, that they would know from eating of that tree. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know good from evil. You know, you may know it in a sense, but the problem is they just didn't know how to live it. Even if they did have a knowledge of it, they didn't have the strength 
to live it out. So he was nailed to that tree, not to give us the knowledge of good and evil, but to give us the true knowledge of God. And in verse 14 of Galatians 3 says that the blessing of Abraham, it's important for us to know that we're so connected to this man, Abraham. And, and that's why I wanted to go to the very first place being about tithing it has to do with his life. And, and, and we are all, the scripture says, children of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Later on in this chapter, it sums it up by saying, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's a lot to the blessing of Abraham on your life, and we'll talk about those things continually uh, because we need to. We find uh, much about our relationship with God in the life of Abraham, but Abraham the, the, the blessing, I should say, that we get is that we now live our lives by faith in God, not by duty, not by performance, not because we need to, but because we believe God. That's what, we, that's what opened up Abraham's whole life was the moment he believed God and God saw faith and he said, that's righteousness. God accounted that to him for righteousness. Up to this point, uh, 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 where Abraham believed God, a Abraham had obeyed God, Abraham had tithed, he had done all these wonderful things, but none of that had made him righteous. It wasn't until he believed God that that was accounted to him for righteousness. And that was so that you could freely come to him and believe him and receive every good thing and become the righteousness of God in, in Christ, not of works, lest any of us would have any reason to be proud or to boast. But it's a gift of God. By grace are you saved through faith. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, now let's go to another place, Hebrews chapter 7 now. Take us over to Hebrews chapter 7 where it's talking about this guy Melchizedek. He shows back up again, and we help, it helps us understand what the significance of this man is to us today. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes or to take tithes from the people according to the law. That's what the law was. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Verse 6, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Verse 7, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser being Abraham is blessed by the better being Melchizedek. Here, mortal men receive tithes. That's still happening today. That's what we did earlier with Jeremiah. But there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Now who is he talking about? Who is it witnessed of that he lives? Oh, think about this. When you tithe here on earth and mortal men subject to death receive those tithes, something else is happening in another place. Jesus Christ himself is receiving that. Jesus himself is receiving Think about this. So when you tithe, when you, when you give to the Lord... It is a witness, it is a witness to the truth that Jesus is alive. Wow. Of whom it is witness that he lives. And we know that our tithes and offerings help do ministry. It helps us further the gospel and, and further our ministry and influence in the earth and uh, takes care of this house and the, and, the, and the things of this house. 
But we also understand by this scripture that Jesus himself cares about what's going on. And he receives that as a gift to himself. Under the law of Moses, men were required to pay tithes, not only to receive a blessing, but to keep from being cursed. But under this law of grace, it's a whole different reality. We give tithes, not pay. We give tithes not to be blessed. We give tithes because we are blessed. We already are. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Specifically, that blessing of Abraham is upon us. Can we go one more place? Sure, Pastor Eric. Thank you. All right, Genesis chapter 28. Now we're going to look at Jacob here. This is Abraham's grandson. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then he dreamed. That is Jacob. Behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. It's interesting that God told Abraham this very same thing, and he told Isaac this same thing, and now he's telling Jacob. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's pretty awesome so far, isn't it? Verse 15, behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go. That's really good. And bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now we're going to jump down to verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. Again, here we see the blessing pronounced once from the priest to Abraham, now from God in a dream to Jacob. And Jacob responds to that blessing. Abraham gave a tithe. Jacob makes a vow. Look what's in this vow. If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Verse 22, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Wow. I will surely give a tenth to you. Jacob responds much in the same way as his grandfather Abraham did. Nowhere in that blessing from God did God say, now listen, if you'll tithe, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. And if you'll, if you'll give 10%, I'll be with you wherever you go. None of that was there. there was, that requirement wasn't even on him. God just said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. And I'm not going to stop until I've accomplished everything I promised you. Then Jacob said, I got to do something about this. I have to respond to this. What do I do? Lord, I'm going to give you a tenth of all. It worked for my grandfather. I reckon it'll work for me. Everything that you give me, if you'll do this, if you're going to keep your word to me, if you will do that, everything that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. See, this is, these are people of faith. They're not doing this because they're being drugged. They're, they're being begged. They're being made to feel guilty. They're doing it because that's in their heart to do it. Paul said, now let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Be a cheerful giver. That is one that's prompt and ready to act right now. A generous giver. One who's calculating, who's premeditating generosity. All right? Because you will never, I guarantee you'll never go broke like that. 
But it's something about this tithing and giving a 10% of our incomes, 10% of our money to God. That helps us keep our right perspective on our money because money, we're so closely connected to it. And if we're not careful, this thing can become larger than life to us. You know what separates the rich from the poor are how they see money, period. It's how they see money. Some see it as a master. Some see it as a servant. All right. What are you doing? I'm working for the money, working for the money. Got to make that money. Then you're serving money. Money's not your servant. All right? But those who know better, money serves them. And this keeps you in the understanding that money is your servant, not your master. God is your master. All right? And because we're so closely connected to it, it's an invitation. Tithing to God is an invitation to say, God, you got all of me. Because if he has your finances, if he has your money, I, there's a very good chance he has all of you. Huh? Because Jesus said, where your, huh? where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. I hope this has encouraged you. That's why we don't preach, uh, we don't preach our reality and, and this law of tithing out of the law of Moses. It has nothing to do with us. We preach, we talk about this, and we do this like our father Abraham and Jacob, Isaac, all of those who of faith did this because God blessed them. We're not waiting for God to open up the windows of heaven. According to Malachi, I will open up the windows of heaven if you'll do this. No, the heavens were open to us when Jesus said, it is finished. Hallelujah. Amen. And now we come and bring an offering to him saying, thank you. Yeah. All right? You know, Heather and I personally have, have experienced this God's power in our lives and our finances when we decided we were going to tithe. Let me tell you something. It has not always been an easy decision, but we refuse to change our minds on it because we've seen God prove himself over and over and over again and see what he could do with 90% better than we can do with 100%. All right? I mean, he's just expanded our lives and blessed us extraordinarily. We didn't do this to get blessed, but we found great blessing in it great blessing in it. We also know that God will not be mocked. He says, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Amen. So uh, I just want to encourage you in this. And Paul, when he was encouraging the Corinthian church in the grace of giving, he said, I'm testing the sincerity of your love because you really know that you love someone by giving. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. All right, so this is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of our love for God. And that shows we, we have this opportunity to show that love, to express that love in the area of tithing. It's beautiful. Amen. Amen. So I just want to encourage you in this and strengthen. Maybe you already are a faithful tither, and God bless you for that. Just want to shore you up on these things again. Maybe you've, you're not real faithful in it, maybe once in a while. Uh, but, but I just want to encourage you in this, and maybe you've never have before. And you didn't know anything about this. Maybe you've heard it just one way that it's all very difficult and you don't even want to touch it because you don't want some curse on your life. None of that. Don't even go for that. Or maybe you've been on the internet lately. You may have been on the internet lately. You know what? Well, he was one of our pastors, Pastor Everett, who pastors out in Pittsburgh, Texas. He told me he thought the internet was the lining inside his bathing suit. 
Well, and it is. <laughs> um, and now I've lost my place. Started getting, yeah. No mental pictures, no mental pictures. Yeah, 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 you don't want to get your theology from the internet, unless you're on onecausechurch.com, then, you know, then you're safe there, as Jeremiah helped me understand that, but um, yeah, because there's a lot of wackos out there putting crazy stuff on there, and um, let's just see what the Bible says about it, you know, we're determined that we're going to live by the scriptures, and what the word of God says, even if we don't like it, you know, God's not going to change his mind, he's never asked my opinion, about whether he just hasn't cared to ask. God is good and he's faithful to us. And he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So excel as you excel in all these areas of your life in faith and love and hope and all those things. Excel in giving. Excel in this grace. Amen. God will, God will, God longs to show himself strong on your behalf in every area of your life. Father, thank you for this time together with these beautiful people. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. Thank you for your joy because, Lord, your joy is our strength. Thank you, Lord, for just refreshing your people today, strengthening them, renewing them, Lord, rejuvenating them. I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Lord, your truth stands for all time. Your word says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you so loved us that you gave us Jesus. And Paul taught us that if you'll give us Jesus, you'll give us anything. You who spared not your own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall you not also with him freely give us all things? Father, I pray that your word would take deep root today now, that this seed, Lord, would sink into deep, rich soil today. And Lord, that it will produce the God kind of life in the lives of those here today. Bless them, Lord, abundantly. I thank you, Lord, that your word teaches us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, we shall condemn. Thank you, Lord, that your people are blessed of God that your favor surrounds them as with a shield. They're blessed wherever they go, in their coming in, in their going out. Wherever they go, they're blessed. And I declare that everything their hands touch shall prosper in the name of Jesus. Thank you for making their way prosperous and giving them good success. Every good thing in our life, Lord, we recognize right now. Every good thing in our life comes from you are good and you do good. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you that you have forgiven us of all of our sins. Thank you that they're washed away. Thank you, Lord, today that there is no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus. So we refuse to bear one ounce of guilt or shame. You took all that upon yourself just as much as you took our sin. So we stand free in you, holy and blameless before our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, 
please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.